My suspicion is that if you were to be tasked with writing a bestseller, you wouldn't begin the first chapter with a list of names. But that's precisely what we find ourselves with here in the book of Matthew. Or maybe you would, uh, particularly if the Holy Spirit was leading in your life. When we first encounter someone, it is regular and normal for us to say, so tell me about your background. Who are you? Where do you come from? What are your uh, characteristics? What's your, um, uh, what do you do? What are your credentials? What are your references? Do you have any? And it might be very appropriate to pull out a family portrait or a, a, a book of, of family pictures and, and, uh, and go over the background that you have and where you've come from and who you are and, and a little bit about you and a little bit about your history. And of course, when you pull out any family portraits, you're going to, going to have a few of those crazies in your family background, your family trait. You got that crazy uncle, you know, everybody's got a crazy uncle, yes? Or a crazy aunt. Maybe you're the crazy in your family. And you don't even know it. That's why you're crazy. <laughs> in, this, in the case of Matthew, of course, in this particular first gospel, uh, the author is putting the credibility of the main character right up front. And I think it's as if he is saying, if you don't find in the background of Jesus Messiah legitimacy, don't bother reading on. I think he's that bold. I, I think that's why he puts it right up here at the front. And, and what we find as we, uh, as we wade our way through this list of names is, is certainly surprising, if not shocking. If you were building a, a fictional character, a fictional story with an unrivaled hero, it is unlikely that you would produce a list like this one with people who have backgrounds like this background. This list of names is not simply history, it's theology. Uh, it makes a gigantic statement about God, and I hope to pull some of those things out of the text this morning. It sends a significant message to people that something really exceptional is unfolding in this particular story that actually could completely alter your story. God is proposing a solution to a very deep problem. Now, let me uh, point out to you that if we, as God's people, fail to proclaim and testify to and, and advertise and market the greatness of our Savior and who He really is, then in that vacuum, others will make proclamations. Uh, this past week, a, a friend of mine in Nazareth sent me an email. Uh, Pastor Salim Shalash of Christ the King Church in Nazareth took this picture in the town square of Nazareth, Israel. Al-Qaeda has put up this particular statement, and I don't know if you can read it very well, but I'm going to read it to you in case you can't. O people of the scripture, in bracket, Christians, do not exceed the limits of your religion. Say nothing but the truth about Allah, the one true God. The Christ Jesus, son of Mary, was only a messenger of God and his word conveyed to Mary and a spirit created by him. So believe in God and his messengers and do not say, um, do not say three gods, in brackets, Trinity. In fact, cease 
threats and warnings, it will be better for you indeed. Allah is the one and the only God. His holiness is far above having a son. So there are people in places in the world in this town of Jesus, Nazareth, where now at the center, Al-Qaeda has laid a claim to a false description of who Jesus is and who the true God is. And I think we should not be uh, the kind of people who become lax and relaxed in thinking that this kind of thing could never happen in our country. I think we are closer to this thing happening in our country than ever before. And so it is important for us as we launch into this new series on learning loyalty to our king, that we know exactly who our Messiah is, that we are completely clear on his credentials, and that we have confidence and boldness to proclaim on the market square and wherever we are who Jesus is and what he has brought. The value derived, by the way, in this story as we embark upon it, in particular the main character of this story, will all hinge on what you believe you really need in your life. If you are about external circumstances and everybody else changing around you and that's what you think is the great need of the world, then Jesus Messiah will be of little benefit to you and a huge disappointment. In fact, those around who thought the external circumstances should change, those who thought Rome should be pummeled by Messiah were greatly and gravely disappointed in Messiah. But if, on the other hand, you believe that it is you that needs to change, if you believe that it's you who needs deep healing and, and transformation of heart, if, if the change that needs to take place for your life to move forward is all about you, then, in fact, Jesus will be more than you ever imagined and more than you ever wanted and more than you thought you ever needed. Those who look longer into eternity and look deeper into their own souls discover that Jesus is the final solution in their lives. So having said that, I'm going to invite you to open your Bibles to the first book of the New Testament if you have not. The Gospel of Matthew gives a comprehensive description of who and what everyone needs. I'm convinced of that. And uh, now it is my duty to do one of my favorite things, which is to read a list of names in the Bible. And uh, yes, I did pray about this, and yes, I did practice at home. And yes, with the Lord's help, we will do the best we can and uh, try to pronounce these names and bring some, um, some energy uh, by our enunciation of these great things. A record of the genealogy of Jesus, Christ the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Timar, Perez the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rechab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Solomon, the father of Rehoboam. Rehoboam, the father of Abiah. Abiah, the father of Asa. Asa, the father of Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat, the father of Jehoram. Jehoram, the father of Isaiah. Isaiah, the father of Jotham. Jotham, the father of Ahaz. 
Ahaz the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah the father of Manasseh, Manasseh the father of Ammon, Ammon the father of Josiah, and Josiah the father of Jeconiah and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Shealtiel, Shealtiel the father of Zerubbabel, Zerubbabel the father of Abiud, Abiud the father of Eliakim, Eliakim the father of Azor, Azor the father of Zadok, Zadok the father of Akim, Akim the father of Eliad, Eliad the father of Eleazar, Eleazar the father of Methan, Methan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus, who is called Christ. Thus there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Christ. This is the word of God. All applause to the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, thank you so much for the power that is packed in this word. Lord God, I, I pray that you will unpack it for us this morning. There is much richness here. And Lord, I pray that our lives will be transformed anew. I pray, God, that we will see, in our, we will see ourselves in this text and see the solution, Jesus Messiah. Oh God, I pray that we will be uh, given a, a new confidence and a new boldness to proclaim uh, with, with great assurance who you are, the Lord Christ, and uh, what you have done for us and what we should anticipate you doing for us. And so, our Lord, I pray that you would visit us with power now through your Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that your word will come alive to us. And I pray that this list of names will burn itself into our hearts and, and refresh our souls, O oh God, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. The Gospel of Matthew presents Jesus, Jesus Messiah. Matthew uh, presents God's ultimate promise to mankind. He intends to prove that Jesus is the Messiah and, find, and, and tends to prove that, that Jesus is the final fulfillment of promises to David and Abraham as son of David and son of Abraham. And meets the criterion of every prophecy that is, uh, is uh, in accord with Messiah. And he's connected to every historic figure he was supposed to be connected to. And now stands as central figure in redemption history. That's who Jesus Christ is. And he is missed by those who through scriptural selectivity... Uh, chose only the text, uh, prosperity text and ignored the suffering text. Yes, the prosperity gospel is nothing new. In fact, we know that Judas was all uh, addicted to prosperity gospel. We know that the rich young ruler was addicted to prosperity gospel. And they went away very sad. And we also understand that those uh, in the Old Covenant, those uh, people of the Old Testament, unbelieving Jews, uh, missed the uh, reality of Messiah because they were looking for prosperity alone. And a very weak prosperity, I might add. All they wanted was for Rome to be pummeled. But Matthew presents to us through the power of God's Holy Spirit and through his walking with the Master himself a presentation here that is stunning in its, in its clarity and in its excitement. In fact, here uh, Matthew begins this way by saying, Biblos, Genesis, Yeshua, Christu, Huio, Dewed, Huio, Abraham. He presents to us 
this new beginnings, the book of Genesis, he literally says. This is the book of Genesis of Jesus Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. As far as Matthew is concerned, the birth of Jesus, not the birth of creation, is the most profound beginning in all of history. And I, I uh, must say that, that this first verse just proclaims with great loudness and joy, this is the new beginning. This is the promise of Messiah. Jesus Messiah, the hope of Israel, the evidence of God's faithfulness, the anointed one. This is the time of God's Messiah who's set apart to bring salvation, to establish the kingdom of God by rescuing people from the counter kingdom of darkness and wickedness. This is Matthew's proclamation as he begins his presentation of the life of Christ. And um, Matthew, of course, is well aware of the Protevangelium, which is the, the first presentation of, of coming Messiah from Genesis 3, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers, or literally the woman's seed. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. And so there is this initial promise and then as we wind our way through the Old Testament God's promise of Messiah continues Daniel 9 verse 25 know and understand this from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one or Messiah the ruler comes there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens and then of course the great text that we we um Share with each other at Christmas, Isaiah 9, verse 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. We know the, these are the promises, and we could go on and on. These are the promises of Messiah. And Matthew declares at the outset of his story of, of the life of Jesus Christ, this is Messiah. This is Jesus Messiah, the anointed one. As prophet, he leads us into all truth. John 6 and verse 14. As priest, he intercedes for us. Hebrews verse 7 and or chapter 7 and verse 21. As king, he reigns over us. Philippians 2 verses 9 and 10. And to the Jewish unbeliever, they know full well that in the absence of Messiah, the Old Testament is, uh, is not brought to its intended impact. For the Old Testament is pointing forward to its fulfillment in Messiah. And Matthew declares here, fulfillment has arrived. Jesus, Messiah, is here. He has come as God has promised. The covenants are now brought to eternal fruition. And um, he, it is time for the Spirit of God to pour out on all flesh. This is the promise that he declares here at the very beginning. It's very exciting. And this is uh, the confidence that we have. And uh, I thought it might be uh, the best uh, idea to, to stick with the word order that he used, even though Matthew uh, went back to Abraham. I'm going to go to the, the David-Abraham order as I, as I unfold and unpack what, who Messiah is. Messiah, secondly, not only is he the new beginnings of Jesus Messiah, but he's a new and better eternal king. God made a promise to David. In 2 Samuel, in chapter 7, beginning at uh, verse 11, the Lord declares to you that, i.e. David, the Lord himself will establish a house for you. 
And when your days are over and you rest with your fathers or when you're dead, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you who will come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom. He is the one who will build a house for my name. And here's the promise. I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And it had to be some sort of a special individual who would have a forever kingdom. And I will be his father and he will be my son. And, and so there is this, this um, promise that God has made uh, a new and better eternal king. And as the people, I think, who would be looking at Matthew's presentation of the lineage of Messiah, as they were reading down, you'll notice that in verse 6, uh, Matthew highlights, and Jesse, the father of King David. And now, um, he doesn't give anybody else that kind of billing. There's lots of other kings in this list, but he speaks of King David. Uh, a reminder that uh, these truly were the heydays of Israel. And, and, and I can just imagine as, as the people were reading this and they were thinking, Oh, for the days of David, if we could only be there as they were under this Roman oppression and, and, and realizing that oh, if only King David were here, he would rescue us from this. And, and, uh, and then uh, Matthew quickly follows it up by this statement. David was merely the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. For those of you who uh, long for the King David days, Matthew says... King David fathers a kingly line from a woman who is someone else's wife. And then we have this alternating list of inadequate kings who were never able to fulfill the prophecies of an eternal kingdom, an everlasting throne, an everlasting reign. Some are faithful, some are failures. And Matthew says, don't you realize that even the greatest was a colossal failure in his life? And the end result of all these kings, verse 12, exile. You know, you have king after king, Rehoboam, wicked, Abia, wicked, Asa, godly, Jehoshaphat, godly. Jehoram, wicked. Isaiah, godly. Jotham, godly. Ahaz, wicked. Hezekiah, godly. Manasseh, wicked. Ammon, wicked. Josiah, godly. Jeconiah, wicked. Matthew says, stare at the list. What king can fulfill the great covenant promise that God has made of an eternal king, a forever kingdom? Pick one out of the list. Now we need a new and better eternal king. And from exile you have here a vacant throne. After Jeconiah and there's no kings. End of the ruling king. Land lies in wait of the fulfillment of the Davidic covenant. And so we're left wanting... Matthew presents the Abraham lineage, the glory days of Israel under Abraham. God had made a covenant of blessing, Abraham's descendants, that, that through you, God said, through your seed, all the nations will be blessed. 
When's that going to happen, Lord? Abraham's descendants, Genesis 12, verse 3, 22, verse 18. By the way, Paul reminds us all in Romans 4, 16 to 17, that it's not those of, of physical line necessarily, but those who are of the faith of Abraham. And so we have this promise that God made of a universal, international, blessed hope. God's mercy. How will all, we're left asking the question, how is it that all the peoples of the earth are to be blessed through this family lineup? That's the question that has to be asked and answered. And he immediately immerses us in the great grand patriarchs, those three great names of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To identify what God we're really talking about. We're not talking about Allah here. We're talking about the true God. The only God. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The living God. The God of the living. Not the God of the dead. That's the family line we're talking about. And then Judah is singled out in verse 3. Because Judah was that tribe that came from Jacob. Genesis 49, 8-12. Whereby the scepter, the ruling staff, it was promised will not depart from Judah. So, of course, Messiah would come from that tribe. And then it includes, almost as a postscript, and his brothers. To make sure that we understand that all of Israel is included in this great lineup. And then we're shocked. If we read this from a Jewish perspective at all. And understand the nature of these, these great uh, lineups of, of, of lineage. We find in here a strange intrusion. In this list of men, we find five women's names. That's just not done. What in the world is Matthew doing? Matthew's, Matthew's gospel is the most Jewish gospel of all of them. What in the world is he doing? Surely the Jewish audience will turn from this. No, he wants to send a message. He wants to make it a very bold message. Of these women that are in this line of Messiah. Listen, Tamar... A woman whose rights were abused as her father-in-law, Judah, ignored the responsibility he had to, to give a, an heir. And so she tricks him. And you know the story. She tricks him and chooses adultery and becomes in the process a great-great-grandmother of the Messiah himself. A Canaanite. We have Rahab. Yes, you pronounce her name Rahab. Try it. Rahab. It's good in the winter to do that. It helps your throat. <laughs> Get a little Jewish in here this morning. The prostitute Jerichoite. What's she doing in the line of Messiah? God uses her to rescue. Her faith makes her the great-grandmother of King David. A Jerichoite. And then there's Ruth, a, a Moabitess. The product of uh, her, her, her heritage is the product of Lot's incest. Ruth is, she comes from a, a race that was banned from the congregation to the 10th generation. Deuteronomy chapter 23 verse 3. Joins Messiah's line. And then, of course, there's Bathsheba, 
who isn't even named. She's just referred to as Uriah's wife. Leaves her husband dead. Her first baby is dead. And she's the mother of the kings in the line of Messiah. What does this say to us? Not only are they women, but they're four Gentile women. Canaanite, Jerichoite, Moabite, and Bathsheba was married to a Hittite. That makes her a Gentile as well. That God's mercy is lavish. That God forgives our sins. That God connects Messiah to a global community, not just a Jewish one. How in the world will all nations be blessed? Through the seed of Abraham. Matthew is presenting the case. He's presenting a strong case to all of us who, who might be inclined to say, my background is too horrible. You, you have no idea about my family tree. You have no idea about my background. There's no possible way that the Lord could use me. The message that's being brought forth to us from this lineup is that that Jesus' lineage himself, his relatives, are not distinguished by a pattern of righteousness. Nor are they pure Jew. This is a record of typical humanity. Broken, wayward morals, great lapses of faith. Good parents who gave birth to, to bad children and bad parents who gave birth to good children. If there's one thing we learn out of this list, it's that grace is not handed down. It truly is a gift to the undeserving, like you and like me. That's the message of this story. And, and in spite of the fact that these stories there's, are full of deceit and intrigue and a thousand different ways that God tried, or people tried to mess up God's plans, the providence of God cannot be manipulated by human foibles. God moves his will through the hearts of men and women who you would least expect and accomplishes his great purposes and accomplishes his great promises and his great plan. And Matthew says it culminates in Jesus, the Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Worship him, praise him. One thing I grab out of here is that the, this list casts a bright light for me on the glaring need of humanity. It is not that everything in our environment needs to change around us. It is we are in the need of change, desperately broken and exiled and kingless and captives to sin. We're Jews and we're Gentiles and we're mixtures. We're flawed and we're faithful. We're men and we're women. We're sinners and we're saints. We're kings and we're commoners. But we are, in a, we are a people desperately in need of a deliverer savior. We are a people desperately in need of, of, of um, a nation with a promised king. And at the end of this list, Matthew the gospel writer who would have been horrified, by the way, to have his name at the front of this book. This book, he said, is about Jesus, Messiah, not about Matthew. But what Matthew has done for us is he kind of leads us to the final statement here and really says Jesus is born. Could he be it? 
Is he the product of God's faithfulness to mankind? You may have come in here without a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And I long for that to be different and that you would leave with Christ in your heart. But one thing for sure, I'm convinced you can't leave without believing that Jesus, this Jesus, is truly Messiah. And if this Jesus isn't Messiah, there is no Messiah. And there never will be a Messiah. Because this one is the only one who fits the prophecies. This is the only one who it can be. And in believing that, you might have life in his name. That's my hope and my prayer. But let's understand this in a quick, a quick review of prophecy. Is this the one? Is he the one? Does he fit prophetically the bill? Well, the pro, pro, the prophetic uh, fulfillment or the prophetic uh, promises, the prophetic expectations of Messiah are these, that in his birth he would be seed of woman, Genesis 3.15. Now, as the, as the readers of Old Testament scriptures continue to mull over that text for several thousand years, probably 3,000 years as they looked at that, Genesis 3.15, and tried to understand, tried to wrap their mind around the, the proclamation of God. Surely this must have been a misprint. Surely the writer must have made a mistake. We don't talk about the seed of woman. That's not what we talk about. We talk about the seed of man. But the promise was the seed of woman. Genesis 3.15. Now in this particular text, we have rolled out for us the word fathered 40 times. It really says Abram fathered Isaac, Isaac fathered Jacob, Jacob fathered Judah, and so on and so forth, 40 times, until we get to Mary, when, whereby it says, of whom feminine was born passive Jesus. We have 40 actives in the active tense fathered and then we get to Mary and we realize something immensely different is being described here that Jesus did not come from a human fathered as this whole list has laid out but rather from a woman who, uh, who uh, of whom was born Jesus who is the Christ and that's Matthew, of course, points out, born a virgin, Isaiah 7:14, and we have this presentation as we look at the birth of Christ to come. And then this lineage, he's to be a descendant of Shem, Genesis 9:26, a particular seed of Abraham, Genesis, or Genesis 12:3, 22:18, of the tribe of Judah, Genesis 49:10. A physical descendant of David, 2 Samuel 7, 7, 12 to 16. A legal heir to David's throne, Isaiah 9, 2. In the time frame, we are also told in the scriptures that 483 years from Artaxerxes' decree in 458 BC, the anointed one is to come. I need to pause here for a second because we get... Um, tied up in trying to understand the profound nature of this for Matthew in terms of, of, of timing. Um, in the Jewish calendar, today is, or today is the year 5,774. The Jewish calendar is laid out 
uh, from their perspective, from the creation of mankind. I tend to absolutely agree with the Jewish calendar. I believe that, that uh, creation occurred 5,774 years ago. Not one million years ago, not one billion years ago, not even 100,000 years ago, but in fact it makes perfect biblical sense to me that they're absolutely right. It's 5,774. What you need to know is if we do some mathematics and back off some years and back off uh, the years to try and get to our Artaxerxes decree, we will find that he leveled that decree that we find uh, recorded in Daniel chapter 9 in the year 3,303 by the Jewish calendar, not by our ADBC. 483 years later, which is 69 times 7, is when anointed one was to come. If you do the math and add 483 years to 3,303, you will come up with 3,786, the year. Matthew would have been somewhere in his 30s at that particular year. So from Matthew's perspective in dating this issue and saying, could this be the one? Is this the one we've been longing for? The math completely fits within the years that was prophesied to the, very, to, to the very measure of that range. We can safely say that, that uh, in the year 3786, God, in Matthew chapter 3, declares that this is my son in whom I'm well pleased at his baptism. And the anointed one's ministry is inaugurated. Is it the right time? It's the right time. Is it the right place? Bethlehem. Micah 5.2. Matthew presents for us here the case of lineage, history, time, place. And in his later years, as he's reflecting on all these things, he boldly proclaims, this is Jesus Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. He is the one. There is no other. We should look for no other. He is the one. Time does not permit me to, to uh, uh, talk about the problem of Jeconiah. We'll do that another time. But let me just summarize and conclude here with the, the message that I see in this text. And there's seven thoughts that I want to clear up very quickly. And one is this, that Jesus' international pedigree and royal lineage makes him God's perfect global solution. The promise of a son king forever was offered to the people. The promise of a seed, God's blessing to the nations, was prophesied. And Matthew is saying this, here is your Messiah. Here is your hope for the nations. Jesus is it. If you're in need of hope and encouragement today, God works through very rough people. That's what we learn, I think, in this text. And very questionable parentage, his salvation wonders to perform. And I'm glad about that, you know. As a parent of children, I'm glad that God can work through very questionable parentage. And I think you are too. For each of us, when we see our children, and, and, and should they have faith in their lives, we can take very little credit for it. It's the amazing work of God's grace. We can't hand down grace. It is given by God. And you can see here that um, 
that God has worked down through the ages. And it is a grand thing. We can also see that God is faithful to his promises and not dependent on human faithlessness. Or if not dependent, dependent on human faithfulness. The message to prejudiced Israel is this. He can use Gentiles when his people are unfaithful. God doesn't require consistent faithfulness by his people. He is over us and over all, and he will, he will move his promises forward regardless. We lapse. We are weak. God is strong. We are faithless. God is faithful. Uh, a couple of weeks ago, as you know, I went to India, and, uh, and uh, the whole flight adventure was the most extreme and bizarre thing I've ever encountered in terms of flight and craziness and all of that. Could take a whole sermon telling you about it. It was so bad, Pastor Calvin said, why don't we just send a rickshaw to get Rick back? It would be faster. At any rate, as I was sitting on the tarmac in the Toronto airport, being stranded in a snowstorm, and being incredibly frustrated because I can't get on with my life, and make it obviously very evident to the person sitting beside me, who, by the way, wasn't Lynn. It was a 24-year-old Purdue student, girl from uh, Indiana. And because uh, we were, Lynn and I were separated in the plane. And, and uh, I, I'm fretting and fussing, calling Emirates Airline, telling them I'm going to miss the plane. I don't know. And I'm look, like, oh, I'm missing the ministry stuff and all this stuff. And this girl's sitting beside me. And, and um, she could see how rattled I was. And she finally said to me, you know, she said, I, I, I guess I'm, I'm thinking that sometimes these things happen in our life just to give us a little bit of humility. It's like, that's supposed to be my line. I, I'm supposed to be the one talking like that. I'm the preacher here. How regularly, how regularly in our hearts, we disappoint God with our lack of faith. And sometimes he uses, this girl is not a believer. And sometimes he uses people who aren't even faithful to God to accomplish his purposes. And so is the list of faithful, unfaithful Faithful, unfaithful. Wicked, good. Neither power, position, or pedigree overcomes the propensity to wickedness. Whether you're a king or a pauper. Powerful or weak. Have standing or are a nobody. We all are inclined to be wicked. And have a great need of rescue. The sad, sad story of the Jews, for one, and certainly the audience of Matthew, is that they settled for so small a rescue. All they wanted was freedom from Rome. All they wanted is to be given some sort of comfort in this life. What short-sighted rescue horizons we need so much more than that. Matthew says, this is Messiah we're talking about here. Not, not take care of some piddly problem like Rome. We, we need someone who can, who can save us and rescue us from our self-destructive tendencies. 
We need someone who can, who can take us well beyond the rescue from Rome. We need someone who will take a, care of the spiritual powers in high places, the, the strong world of the supernatural wickedness. Who's going to take care of that? The God of this world. The prince of the power of the air. What's more, who's going to deliver us from death? King David? Solomon? Jeconiah? Read the list, people. Who saved us? Who rescued us? They only took us into exile. And then there's a list of nobodies. A vacant throne. The salvation of Messiah reaches all. We're looking for something forever, something for everyone. Jesus came from Jews and Gentiles. He came from faithful and faithless. He came from God's people and godless people. He came from male and female. He came from well-treated and mistreated. Did we miss anybody in the list of humanity? And he came for the same kind of people, you and me, to save us and rescue us. That's the message of Matthew. You can be in that story. Christ alone is the determining factor for salvation in the universe. He is God's global solution. He's not a tribal God. He's the God of the universe. The true people of God are not so by ethnic heritage or tribal heritage or gender or by stellar behavior or by social settings, but by God's grace and God's grace alone. Matthew says, you are not going to get this by personal reflection and intellectual study. This is a gift of God. You remember when Peter made his great confession, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said to him, you didn't get this from man, you got this from the Father in heaven. And for you to embrace the truth of Jesus as Messiah will not be because of your savvy mind or your ability to research prophecy, but by the amazing grace of God who will allow you to believe what you must believe to be saved. And finally, Jesus alone ties humanity to the covenant blessings promised to Abraham's seed. You know what's really neat about this? You may be here this morning feeling incredibly disconnected. Maybe your family disowned you a long time ago. Maybe you don't have any sense of heritage. You know what this is? This is our heritage. This is our roots. This is our family. This is faith's family. And you belong to Jesus Messiah. This is your family. This is where you belong. This is who you are. This is whose you are. You have roots. You know who you are. You know where you came from. One great family of faith, not by race, but by faith in Jesus, Messiah. That's his message. That's how he introduces it. We have lots to learn from here. Our Father and our God, learning loyalty to Jesus, Messiah, our King, the only one who can save and rescue us. We thank you for the privilege, the confidence that we can have. We praise you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. What do you really believe you need in your life? 
If you are here this morning saying, I just need some adjustments in my environment and everything would be fine, your sight lines are too short. For those who experience the reality of Jesus Christ, the needs we encounter are needs within ourselves. We're the ones who stand in need of change, of transformation, of an eternal relationship with God the Father that only an eternal king can bring, only an eternal savior can bring, only Messiah can bring, Jesus Christ. So if you are here this morning and you have never embraced the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in the word of God, to those who received him, he gave the power to become the children of God. I would invite you this morning to receive Jesus, Messiah. He is the promised one. He is the fulfillment of God's promises. He is the hope of the nations. He is the eternal king who sits on the throne forever. Jesus, Messiah, son of David, son of Abraham. Receive him and you will receive life everlasting. Our Father and our God, we pray this morning and we ask you to bring salvation to the house here. Lord, I pray that no one would leave without the powerful work of the Holy Spirit convicting and convincing that Jesus Messiah is the need of everyone's heart. Oh Lord, thank you for salvation. Thank you for Christ. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for the proclamation of the word of God. Thank you for the Holy Spirit who changes us. In Jesus' name, amen.